The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Designing the Future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. And importantly, they will discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. I always say it, I always mean it, and hey, it's always true. So what's the buzz on the street today? Well, I have a quote from Tim Brown. He's the author of Change by Design, How Design Thinking Transforms Organizations and Inspires Innovation. Here's the quote. Above all, think of life as a prototype. We can conduct experiments, make discoveries, and change our perspectives. Okay, if you're scratching your heads and saying, what in the world is this all about? Think of one key word in that quote, prototype. Think about it, spell it, say it out loud, memorize it. That's what we're talking about today. Prototyping in design thinking, that's our topic. It ensures that ideas, come on, all of you have an idea. You're just going to run to market and say, hey, I have the new widget. I have the new everything. Let's just do it. No, no, no. You have to test it and retest it on a small scale. Think small investment of time, of people, of money. You have to answer the question, whoever is creating this prototype, did I understand what you want or what you need before anybody's going to invest a lot of money? And hopefully you're you're holding your back you're on your own, investing your own CDs and your own life savings in it. You got to test it. So how is this used in practical real life? Designers, creators, and innovators are using a wide array of prototyping styles and techniques to help decide a couple of things. Number one, which idea is worth taking forward? in some direction to market, to uh, to uh, testing, which idea is worthy at this point in time of moving ahead? Which idea you send back for iterations? Okay, we'll tweak a little bit of this. We'll change the color. We'll change the wheels. And then, of course, there's the third option. Which ideas merit refinement? And just between us, that means blow the damn thing up and start over again or go back to sleep and think about something else. So we have a panel of three experts we're going to be speaking to. Our topic, of course, is designing the future prototyping in just about everything. It is a big deal. And that's what we're talking about today. First up in a moment, I'll be welcoming Matt Gorbett, G-O-R-B-E-T. He calls himself one half of the strategic design duo called Gorbett Design. We'll find out what they do. Joining us is no stranger to Game Changers. Gavin P. Quinn was on another one of our Game Changers shows earlier this week. He is still the founder and chief technologist at Mindset. And he'll tell us what his company does. And rounding out the panel is our, our friend 
friend from SAP. She's been on before on our Innovating Innovation series last year. It's Anastasia Stauffenberg, Senior Business Manager for UX at SAP Germany. Delighted to have you all on board. And Matt Gorbett, you're up first. Matt sent me an interesting quote from E.E. Cummings. If you're very young and you don't recognize the name, well, shame on you. Edward Estlin, E.E for shortcomings, 1894 to 1962, often styled as E.E. without periods Cummings, was an American poet, a painter, an essayist, an author, and a playwright. Get this, if you think you're not doing enough with your life, he wrote about 2,900 poems. He only wrote two autobiographical novels. He only wrote four plays and essays. He was an eminent voice of 20th century English literature. And here is the quote Matt has selected from E.E. Cummings. Always the beautiful answer who asks a more beautiful question. Matt Gorbett, welcome. How are you today? I'm doing great, Bonnie. Thank you for joining us. Love the quote. You're going to have to interpret it for me. I, I, I've heard E.E. E. Cummings. I've read some of his work, but this is a new one to me. Always the beautiful answer who asks a more beautiful question. I just want to go in a swirl of fluff somewhere and think about this, but bring me back down to earth. What does this mean, Matt, and how does it relate to our topic? Prototyping. Well, always the beautiful answer who asks a more beautiful question. Um, this, I, this jumped out at me because prototyping for me is all about asking questions. Prototyping as part of a design process is about uh, asking the questions you need to ask to know what you don't know about the thing you're designing and trying to make it better. So for a prototype to have value, you, you need to know what that prototype is asking about your idea. And the better the question, the better the answer. So looking at this, always the beautiful answer, who asks the more beautiful question. There's, there's one other thing about it. Um, I love E.E. E. Cummings. He's a, he's a poet who, who always broke rules of grammar. He was, he was dynamic and unconstrained. Like if you look at the, the way mm-hmm. his, he, he made up his own words, he made up his own punctuation. And when you see this, it doesn't actually make grammatical sense. But being able to create something beautiful that goes outside the lines, I think that's kind of part of the spirit of innovation, and that's the kind of thinking that's required for innovation. So that's why E. Cummings has always been a a real inspiration uh, for me. Indeed. Thank you very much. Let me just ask you a question. The word beautiful, if we're thinking, Matt, about, uh, oh, I don't know, I'm going reinv- to invent a square wheel or a, uh, uh, I don't know, I'm going to reinvent what the hypotenuse means to a triangle and I want to prototype it and I'm saying, oh, that's so beautiful and people are looking at me and saying, what? It's plastic, it's metal, it's got spokes, it's got concrete, it's gray, it's ugly. Where does the word beauty come into this? Because I have a feeling that that's a word that's integral to the spirit of designing and for our show today, Designing the Future. Any thoughts on how beautiful is used where people find it credible, Matt? Absolutely. And I think, I think you've hit the nail on the head there about beauty being, being several different things. You know, there is the, uh, the sort of you know, primary definition of beauty, which is this visual beauty, right? You can make something that, that really appeals on that sense. But when we're talking about prototyping, and in particular when I'm talking about this quote, finding a beautiful answer with a beautiful question, or in many cases, finding a beautiful answer that is itself a beautiful question. What we're, really, what we're really talking about is something a lot more conceptual, a lot deeper. We're talking about the idea that something comes together to really do what it's supposed to do. And there's different ways of thinking about prototyping. You can prototype something for its visual appeal or its beauty, its form, mm-hmm. its materials, all of that kind of thing. But you can also prototype something uh, for its functionality to make sure that it's going to do what it's supposed to do and my favorite form of prototyping is experience prototyping, where what you're really trying to do is test out somebody's experience 
And beauty comes into that in that you look at the experience they have and you're really trying to create something amazing from their perspective. So that's why this question of asking the right question, finding the right kind of beauty in your idea is really critical when you set out to prototype something. Thank you. Thank you for answering my question. I wasn't sure how that one was going to land. I, I really appreciate it. You know the old saying, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, and I, I think that's still true. Thank you so much, Matt, and welcome to Game Changers. And now let's welcome back a gentleman who was just on this week earlier, and it's Gavin Quinn, founder and chief technologist at Mindset. And Gavin has stolen my heart again by sending us a quote from Mad Men, Season 3, Episode 2. Come on, everybody, close your eyes. What do you think Don Draper said in the episode called Love Among the Ruins, which was apparently the name of a very famous movie. It's a very apropos quote to any kind of a conversation, and that's part of the quote. Uh, Don Draper, anybody doesn't know, Donald Francis Don Draper, a fictional character, although he certainly came to life for me because I binge-watched seven seasons in about three months. Don't even ask. He was the protagonist of AMC's TV series Mad Men, and he was portrayed indelibly and unforgettably by John Hamm. I'm just going to leave it alone. They were madmen, advertising men on Madison Avenue, and it was sometimes TMI of what they wanted us to think went on in the madman world of advertising. Here we go. The quote is, if you don't like what's being said, then change the conversation. Gavin Quinn, it's been so long. What, 48 hours since we've spoken? How are you? <laughs> Great. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, delighted. Talk to me. Are you as much of a, uh, a, a Mad Men fan as I am, or did you just happen to Google, oh, what did Don Draper say that's memorable? Let's say it on the show. Ha- talk to me. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you know, I love Mad Men, and, you know, I'm probably not alone in that aspect. I, I really chose the quote. Uh, I was thinking that, you know, maybe if I quote Don Draper enough, people will think that I'm sort of a brilliant businessman as well, but uh, it seemed kind of fitting <laughs> in this context anyway. Um, well done. But Go yeah, ahead. So- yeah, so what does this mean in the context of, of prototyping? Um, so, you know, I think that oftentimes when we're trying to solve some sort of a problem, right, we're, we're prototyping to solve a problem that we've identified. And I think that our traditional instincts are just to really dig into what we've already done, to maybe tweak what we've done, um, to maybe just listen to exactly what our customers may tell us, you know, change X, Y, and Z, and I'll just do it. Um, but that's not necessarily what's what's really needed to solve the problem. And so... Um, you know, when you take a look at this quote, it's it's really about thinking big, about thinking how you can take an entirely different approach and really change the conversation overall. Um, you know, uh, this prototyping is really, to me, a part of design thinking overall, which I'm, I'm sure we'll get to later in the show here. Um, you know, and I've done a ton of uh, design thinking. I was just flipping through some list of my old sessions, and it's it's over 50 sessions, I think, all over the globe, everywhere from a mine a thousand feet underground to you know, last week I was out on a farm in in uh, uh, Nebraska um, in a plant in Mexico, and. Um, to me, prototyping uh, is just so key to this process that we're just going to really quickly visualize a new solution and, and, and share that with people and, and get them to sort of get emotionally involved and, and visualize the, the possibility. So um, anyway, I think that's a brilliant quote. And, you know, and, and again, Mad Men's just a, a genius show. So thanks so much. 
Absolutely a genius show, and thank you so much. As I said, I, I, I think you were just trying to get on my good side, but you already were because you're already so smart. I just, I found the show so interesting because I was alive at that time, but I wasn't part of, obviously, I was very young. I wasn't aware of what was going on. You know, you saw advertising. It was powerful. It swayed you. And of course, Gavin, somewhere along the line before a madman brought these products into the public awareness through their advertising, there had to be prototypes going on somewhere. You think there had to be, even though I don't think in the show they talked about going into the factory setting or the design setting. It was just, hey, this is the client. They have a product. How are we going to pitch it? Who's the audience? And they really tried at that level. So thank you very much, Gavin. And now let's turn to our third panelist. She is Anastasia Stauffenberg, Senior Business Manager for UX at SAP Germany. And Anastasia has selected a quote from Tom and David Kelly. That's K-E-L-L-E-Y. Come on, kids. You know who they are. They are the, well, David is the founder of IDEO, IDEO, and created many icons of the digital generation, including, hey, are you on an, on an Apple product? Anybody out there? They created the first mouse for Apple. Uh, he is a professor at Stanford University, taught there for more than 25 years. And apropos to SAP, David Kelly led the creation of the groundbreaking D School at Stanford, the Hasso Plotner Institute of Design. His brother, who is a partner at IDEO, is Tom Kelly best-selling author of The Art of Innovation and another book, The Ten Faces of Innovation. He's an executive fellow at the Haas School of Business at UC Berkeley and has a similar role at University of Tokyo. They're kind of busy, these Kelly brothers. So here is the phenomenal quote Anastasia has picked from from both of them, apparently. They both say, I can see them sitting together at the table, Anastasia, and saying, okay, on the count of one, two, three, let's say these words together. And here they are. If a picture is worth 1,000 words, a prototype is worth 1,000 meetings. Anastasia, welcome back to Game Changers, and how have you been? Hi, thank you for inviting me again, and I'm very happy to have uh, two great people today in the panel. I, I heard about one of them, at least, in my um, yeah, business life, so... I'm, uh, I admire very much IDEO and what they do, and of course I have a strong connect um, to mm-hmm. what they teach. And this, or, uh, even uh, this quote has become a saying. I found out at uh, IDEO. Uh, I heard it personally, uh, or I read it in the thesis of one of my students I supervise, and I liked it very much. And I thought, oh, I will remember it. So someday I will use it somehow. So here we are. I, it's really, when I saw the uh, topic of this uh, panel today, I was really um, immediately thinking of this quote. And I like it very much because it refers to the notion that a complex idea can be conveyed with just a single still image or mm-hmm. that the image of a subject conveys its meaning. And we can... Um, think or talk about many things, if you put them in a picture, you give also room for um, the imagination, to unleashing the imagination of people. But if you uh, take um, all the meetings, at least in our company, we have every day thousands of meetings. And I sometimes feel if we would just sit down and uh, have a creative uh, environment and just draft things, we would come much faster to the right uh, solutions. And from my opinion, this sentence should be something like a maxim of prototyping and uh, be on any entrepreneur's mind. 
we, you can um, think along the lines of prototyping while getting a new product, a new solution into the market. And this is an ongoing process. So testing with uh, a new product with users or even a new uh, market for an old product are, are all some valid forms of prototyping. And they are all more worth than just a bunch of meetings trying to predict what to do next. And um, we all know that in, in business, data helps us to drive the right um, way and, and drive the right decisions. And one way uh, or very good way even to get data is to prototype and test as early and as often as possible and get the best possible solution. Thank you very much, Anastasia. I appreciate that. And while you were speaking, I was looking up the actual definition of prototyping, and I mentioned in my opening, and I'm addressing all three of you, Anastasia, Gavin, and Matt, I mentioned that designers, creators, and innovators use an array of prototyping styles and techniques. So my good friends at Wikipedia have provided me with the following, the basic prototype categories. And anybody jump at any point? One is a proof of principle, which verifies key functional aspects of the intended design but does not have full final functionality. Then is a working prototype, which is almost all of the functionality of the final. Then we have a visual one, which is size and appearance, but not the functionality. Okay. We have a user experience prototype. One of you mentioned experience, which is enough of the appearance and function that it can be used to research who the users are, who the potential users. Then we have a functional prototype, which captures function and appearance of the attended, intended design, uh, but it may be on a different scale from the final. That would be my terms in the beginning about a smaller investment, maybe a full, smaller footprint. And then a paper prototype is printed or hand-drawn, and one of you mentioned that, of the user interface, for example, of a software product. Uh, some of the other terms for prototype are primitive form, original, first, or even the word impression. Does everybody agree with all of those? Anybody want to add any other forms before I, I move on to what's in your cup today? Gavin, are you good with all of this? And Matt and Anastasia? Well, great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, if I if uh, I can, I, I might add a little yeah. bit. Yeah, uh, sure. Sorry, this is Matt, Matt speaking. Um, Hi, Matt. You know, I think these are interesting. These these terms, prototyping, have come out of a tradition. I think of um, industrial design and product design, and I think as design tools that originated in those worlds have moved more into business, and we've seen, mm -hmm. um, you know, earlier Anastasia, actually both of our other guests mentioned design thinking and. This idea of design thinking being uh, an adaptation and an outgrowth of tools, but more importantly, a mindset that began in industrial design and product design, uh, and possibly you know architectural design, graphic design. You start seeing kind of a merging of these forms of prototype. So each of these individual types of prototyping that you talked about is is critically important. But I think it's also important for people to understand that. These are not, there are porous boundaries between them. You can create uh, an experience prototype that is created solely with paper, for example. You can create, mm -hmm. you can create what's called a Wizard of Oz prototype, where you have a computer screen and you have someone doing things and they think the computer is providing output, but actually there's someone in the back room who's, who's pretending to be the computer just to see how it'll work. You know, there are a number of different, there's role plays, there's storyboards, there's all kinds of different tools that can uh, essentially give the experience to the user of having this product even before the product is made. And, and I'd say, well, more importantly, in some cases, give that uh, experience and tangibility 
to the designer or the person who's actually come up with the idea so that they can help refine it and understand it a little better. So does Thank that you, Matt. That That's great. Let's go around the table. Gavin, you want to add to that? Any thoughts? And then we'll get to Anastasia. Well, uh, no, I think that was great. It, you know, I love the idea of the Wizard of Oz prototype. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't heard that term myself. Um, but, uh, you know, if I, if I go ahead and, and put that in the statements of work with my clients, I'll think they'll be thrilled. I don't know if they'll pay for it. But, um, but no, I, I, you know, I think that, uh, you know, prototyping is, is, there's a lot of different ways to do it. It applies to the, the given problem that you're, you're trying to solve. Um, and it's really up to the comfort of the designer, the speed, sort of the size and scale of the problem that, that you're dealing with. Um, and so I think that the key is that you need a lot of these tools um, in your toolbox, and you need to be really proficient as a designer with as many of these communication methods as you can. Um, but I think the core goal is always the same, that you're trying to do something fast and you're trying to communicate to your audience a concept um, before you build it. Uh, and I think it, the more that we can do that, um, uh, the more accurate of a, a sort of a, a solution that we'll have in the long run. Thank you. Anastasia, I heard you in the background. Talk to me. What do you think? Yeah, um, I only can uh, agree with uh, Matt and Gavin. I just wanted to um, add also that uh, for me, last year, 2016, seemed to be the the year of uh, new design tools for uh, building prototypes um, was really exploding. And um, I, I heard of so many tools. There was a, um, a great tool. I, I don't know if I can mention it. Uh, it it's called Envision. I'll have yeah, a look sure. into that, and I, I'm really a fan of it. And it has nothing to do with the company I work, but I, I definitely will uh, use it. And also, as I said earlier, I have uh, students, and one of them was writing on startups, and there they use the term um, MVP. So the startups often start with an MVP, the minimum viable product, which is, a, in, if you ask me, another form of a prototype where they sometimes don't do too much of research, but they have they spend all the time on the steps we know from design thinking and the UCT process. And I personally would like to skip the V and replace it through a D, not only a minimum viable, but also a minimum delightful product. Because Ah. viable is always too technically um, oriented. So for me, it has also to be delightful. And then it covers much more. I like that. That would be the MDP. And MVP is yes. minimum viable. What was the last Product. word for that, P? Product. Product. Okay. Yes. Very, very interesting. Good conversation around the table here. I like that. Uh, I just want us to do a shout out to Charlotte Bowie at SAP who is tweeting and somebody uh, calling themselves I think bot, B-O-T, is also tweeting. And if you want to see what's going on with tweeting, just go to hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. I'm just going to make a comment to my panel. Uh, I was thinking of what prototyping means to me because I am neither in manufacturing or in, in design thinking, although I design concepts like talk radio. But I was thinking that, to me, a rehearsal I'm also a playwright, and I had a rehearsal a few weeks ago of my newest play, and that, in a way, was the prototype because we refined the script, refined the information for the actors and for the studio crew and the filming. So does that resonate in, in life? Perhaps a rehearsal is is a prototyping as part of that, that process? Just a quick yes or no, Matt, Gavin, and Anastasia. Yes, Matt? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. Oh. 
Good, yeah. good. What? Well, thank you very much. Just trying to relate this to real life. Yes. Yeah, so, you know what? Now we're going to do some real life conversation here. Well, we already have been. We want to get to know our panelists a little bit better up close and personal. Matt Gorbett, you know what I'm going to ask you next? Where are you? No, I do not want the Google map coordinates of the roof of your house or your office. Not that close. But we'd like to know where in general are you? Uh, and what are you drinking now if it makes you happy? If not, what would you prefer to have in your cup? Matt Gorbett, talk to me. I'm calling from Toronto, Canada, and I am drinking in my cup an almond chai latte, which um, is a drink. The first time I ever tasted a chai latte was about uh, about 20 years ago at a little coffee place in Cambridge, Massachusetts, downstairs in a tiny little narrow staircase in the wintertime, and it was freezing outside. And I went down there, and they had a sign on the counter that said, drinking chai was like a warm hug from the inside. And ever since... I've been oh. drinking chai, and that's <laughs> my warm hug. Oh, I love And where was that in Cambridge? It was at a little place near Central Square, just up the street from, uh, you know, both the universities there. <laughs> and uh, people, students would go down there, and, yeah, that's where I got my warm hugs from the inside. Oh, that's lovely. I lived in North Cambridge for a while. Um, I Yeah, my family moved there very briefly. I was in between colleges, and I finished my bachelor's at Boston University, and uh, my husband was at Harvard Architecture, and I took the, I don't know what we call what do we call it, the tram? What do we call it, Matt, the to tea. get from... Yeah. The tea took the tea into Boston to go to BU, and then I came back oh, yeah. and and went to a Radcliffe daycare and picked up my my son who was about a year and a half, put him on the back of my bike in the baby seat, and drove him home in the summer to our <laughs> our house. And and we interestingly enough, not a, a just a little sidebar, we had a pizza truck that came by our neighborhood every Saturday, and you would they would send a kid who was working probably for a nickel an hour, and we're talking way back, and yeah. he would run up the street to ring the bell, ring a uh, like an old school bell, and we would walk down to the corner, and they would be making pizza in this truck with the oven with a big vent on top an old old truck and you would buy it for like 25 cents a slice and they'd sprinkle whatever on top put it on a piece of cardboard then we'd run down the block go home and we'd sit down and have our lunch on saturdays in the sub it was always hot fond memories fond memories thank you for the memories matt gore but gavin p quinn i don't expect memories from you or probably from very different parts of the universe here or the, the globe i should say gavin where are you and what's interesting that you like to drink yeah, so I'm in, I'm in Minneapolis, Minnesota right now, um, and so right this second I'm having a, a cup of coffee, Honduran from Spy House Coffee, one of those sort of brilliantly and overly expensive coffee houses. But more interestingly, about 24 hours from now, I'll be on my way to Costa Rica, and then my cup will be a nice Bloody Mary on the flight over, so uh, that'll make me even happier. <laughs> Yes, flying need. Yes, it needs to be. That's your user experience. I'm sure the airline is appreciative of that. Gavin, just have a drink and go to sleep and we'll wake up and you'll be in a beautiful place. Okay, lovely. I love that. Anastasia Stauffenberg, where are you? Something tells me you are in Germany, perhaps. And what are you drinking today or what would you love to be drinking, Anastasia? Yeah, I'm in the office in Germany, indeed, um, not in a fancy uh, place like the other two colleagues, but uh, it's fine. So I was bored of uh, drinking always the same type of uh, tea or coffee from the automatic coffee maker, so I invented for my personal Shukochino. So it consists out of uh, one-third of steamed milk, um, in espresso, and uh, the rest is filled up with uh, chocolate and garnished with cocoa powder and just a bit of sugar. 
And I love that. And I teach that to all the other colleagues who also complain about always drinking the same stuff. And this makes my day happier. <laughs> That's what it's all about. So you have been rehearsing a new prototype of a coffee drink that makes you smile, and you've got it and you're teaching it. I think that's one of the truest definitions. It's experiential. You have a product that you've created that's your own, that you're sharing it with yeah. the world. You probably didn't invest a lot of time and thought, hmm, how much cocoa? Hmm, how much steamed milk? How much espresso? And there you go. I love it. So she, she's a yeah. human prototyping texter. Thank you, Anastasia. Uh, Matt probably doesn't know me well enough. Anastasia won't remember, but Gavin knows all they let me drink on radio show days is water. So I have a clear mug, a cool, clear glass of cool, clear water. And today I have a bright, deep, dark pink straw in honor of the sunshine that is delighting us. Anastasia, there's your word, delighting us here on the, uh, well, I'm just about a mile outside the New York City limits on the north shore of Long Island in New York. The snow is melting. It was bitter, brutal cold last night, and it looks like we might actually get up to that predicted 62 degrees this weekend with snow still on the ground. What can I tell you, kids? We're talking today about prototyping, already having a really interesting conversation. If you don't know what it is, you've got to listen up because you're going to hear a lot more from my three experts, Matt Gorbett, Gavin P. Quinn, and Anastasia Stauffenberg. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Shout out again to the two sponsors of this series, Charlotte Buey and Jennifer Ford at SAP. Ladies, you've done it again. Extraordinarily smart panel. Having a good time here. So we're going to give everybody a break for only 90 seconds. Don't go too far away. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. You know the drill. Kevin out. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. When you discuss the future design of any topic, there is one word always present. Connected. As technology opens up the possibility of connection, we need to work together to ensure the ensuing change delivers forward progress to the people involved. Leaders designing a connected future will add another word to the narrative of disruption and innovation, inclusion. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how the purposeful design of the digital world can lead to a better future for everyone. Designing the Future with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You're listening to Designing the Future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to designing the future with Game Changers. 
Yes, indeed, we are designing the future as we speak and as you listen. My extraordinarily smart and savvy and very interesting panel today, Matt Gorbett, Gavin P. Quinn, and Anastasia Stauffenberg. And we are having a Twitter party here on hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. You know what that spells. SAP Radio with Charlotte Bowie. And you can follow her at at C-H-A-R-L-O-T-T-E-B-U-I. Bowie is how she says it. So let's start our roundtable in earnest. Matt Gorbett at Gorbett Design. Matt, before we start, why don't you give me a 60-second second overview. What is Gorbit Design, please? Oh, thanks. Uh, well, we're a strategic design firm. Our background is in experience design, both with uh, sort of online and software things, but also with large-scale, architecturally integrated experiences for people. And uh, all of those kinds of uh, ways of thinking have translated over into the business world, and we now advise a lot of companies on uh, strategically integrating design with their products and in their sales cycles. Thank you very much. Fascinating. Absolutely. And I'm looking at your notes. And here's what you told me before the show, Matt, and then we'll run with this as our first conversation thread. You say, making the prototype evolves the idea. It's important not to get stuck simply building what you designed. Let the prototype be the design in an iterative loop. So go ahead, Matt. Tell us more, please. Well, I think this speaks to the idea that prototyping isn't just a thing you do once you've had an idea, once you've, you've come up with something, you've had this idea, you've talked about it, you've figured it out, you've got the basic idea, now you have to show it to someone or, 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 or it's a milestone for approval. That kind of, you know, there's a number of the things we've been saying so far today, and I think some of the um, impetus and the idea about prototyping stems from this idea that we want to prove that what we've done is right by making a prototype. And I want to reframe that just a little bit. I want to take a little bit of a different approach and say prototyping really is as much a part of the design process as other tools like brainstorming, like sketching, Mm -hmm. like research. And so to prototype something uh, and let it inform your design for yourself in an iterative loop is an incredibly valuable thing. To take your initial thoughts about something out of your head, make it real, make it tangible with your hands, even if it's a screen-based thing. If you can make it out of paper or you can start making it with maybe Photoshop, just create that thing as soon as you possibly can. What it will do is it'll start showing you the parts you haven't thought about. It'll create, mm-hmm. it'll show you the input, it'll show you what you might overlook or, or take for granted because you've just been thinking about the idea with all of your own assumptions. So often people will think of prototyping as a a milestone at the end of a project, and I'm going to make a prototype, show it to the client. As you were saying earlier, Bonnie, the client might send it back for revisions or blow it up. Yes, that's true. You can do that. But that kind of goes more into the world of demoing your great idea rather than making prototypes as part of of a design process that's going to evolve, that's going to be iterative. Thank you. Process and iterative are key words that jumped out at me. Thank you, Matt. Gavin Quinn at Mindset. Gavin, before you comment, why don't you give us a 60-second overview of what Mindset does, and then we'd love to hear your POV. Go ahead. Sure. Thanks so much. So Mindset, uh, you know, we do mobile solutions for, for large enterprises. Uh, and what makes us really unique is that, well, two things. One, we only do stuff related to SAP, uh, which is it kind of gives us sort of a depth in this space. But two, we incorporate design in everything that we do. So we're really heavily oriented towards design, designers, design thinking, sort of everything on that side. And it, uh, it's a little bit of a different approach, but it's really, really worked well for us. 
Thank you very much. And now what are your thoughts on what Matt talked about in terms of, well, you just mentioned iterative design, the loop, letting the prototype help to inform and send information back to what you thought the design should or would have could have been. So what do you think, Gavin? Yeah, no, I, I think that's a great comment, Matt. Uh, you know, it, it's this constant move away from, you know, sort of a waterfall approach that we're just going to, there's a start date and an end date to every project, and we just need to get from one phase to the next as sort of logically as we can, more towards a sort of design and iteration approach. I think that's genius. Um, there's some really nice uh, diagrams of, you know, overall this design thinking process. And if you look carefully, these arrows always go backwards. And, and sometimes, uh, you know, we'll get in a debate about, you know, should we go through more and more iterations? And I'll, I'll pull up that diagram and put a big circle around the arrow and mark on it. You know, the arrows go back too, not just forward. So, um, you know, I think that, that, you know, going through many, many iterations is, is really, really important. Um, of course, there's some sort of practicality as to how many of those that you can go through. Um, but it just goes to serve that, you know, the prototype is a communication, that there's a lot to learn from it, that you're trying to communicate ideas, and that, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to constantly evolve. And that's, that's really what we want to see. So I think it was, a, it was a great point, Matt. Thank you very much, Anastasia. Love to get your thoughts on this. Agree or disagree or add something new? Yeah, um, of course, uh, what they, um, Matt and Gorbett and, um, sorry, Matt and Gavin said was mm. completely right, and I agree. Uh, I just wanted also to add that um, it's during the prototyping process, it's also, uh, for me, every time interesting to see that people who pretend to have no imagination, no creativity, no nothing, mm-hmm. start uh, unleashing ideas and uh, come up with stuff. And if you encourage them to just um, be uh, childish and maybe sometimes foolish, uh, at the end we come to great uh, solutions. No one would expect if we only would do a, um, just a design thinking session, leaving out the visualization. This is a um, very common failure. We, we do that uh, very often. Only the workshop, gather ideas, whatever, um, prioritize and come up with some um, written descriptions, but we sometimes, for the sake of time or money or whatever, do not do this visualization, as I think Matt was it, uh, who said, a tangible thing, uh, we lose. We lose the momentum. So I always love to play around with people's um, reluctance to be creative. Thank you very much. Matt, I'm going to quickly circle back to you and ask if you'd like to comment on what your co-panelists said, and then I'm going to quickly move to some topics from Gavin's list. So go ahead, Matt. Anything to add on that? Absolutely. I think the encouraging others to contribute really speaks to the idea that prototyping can and should be collaborative. So making the thing with the other people, getting them, offering it to them as something unfinished. And this is the beauty of a prototype, which is essentially, it's just like a pen and ink sketch. You know, it'll have some details that are, that are already settled, but it will, by its physical nature, it will show you what's not decided yet. It'll invite people to add their own ideas. It'll encourage them to contribute in the, in the forming of this thing. And you're always going to get a better end result if you can get a lot of people together, including, and this is sometimes difficult for people, but including your customers, including your clients. Get them involved with the earliest, sketchiest prototypes, and you'll get a much, much better result. 
Interesting. little sidebar here. Back in the Graham family, history was an architect, planner, and engineer named John Graham, just simply John Graham. And one day at a, a cocktail party or a dinner party, uh, somebody asked him a question, and he picked up a cocktail napkin. This is one of the stories and the one I heard because I, I married into his family years ago. And he drew the prototype for the Space Needle in Seattle. Yep, on a cocktail napkin. That's how it started with the the revolving top. And he went on to not only uh, continue as an architect to create it, but he was one of the owners of the Penta, five pentagram corporation. And the Graham Graham family still goes there for for the young people's, for the teenagers' birthday parties and whatever. I think they still have a lifetime membership. John, Jack, we called him, was long gone. But it it was a a prototype, I guess, in the earliest sense. And and this goes to where I want to move on to Gavin. P. Quinn's notes here. Gavin, I want to talk about the process, but one thing I must read that's very quotable. You say, no one reads documents. Have you ever seen enterprise software specs? Hundreds of pages. Gavin said this, not me, of garbage. People like pictures. They think, yeah, I can use that thing in the picture. I'm just going to let that sit on the table. I love that quote, Gavin. But Gavin, let's talk about what happened when Nick Swinmurn started Zappos. He started by going to a local shoe store. He took pictures. He posted them online. Talk to me about the process. Let's do some real practical teaching here on, on this concept of prototyping. Gavin? Yeah, thanks. So this is actually something I heard on, on NPR, how I made a podcast a, a few weeks ago. But it was just such a great story. And, and Bonnie, this sort of gets back to, uh, you know, how you're, you're talking about design in the real world. And I just, this story just resonated with me. So the story goes that, um, that Nick, he, when he started Zappos, uh, and he'd done some, some things before that, but we started Zappos, you know, he had this sort of crazy idea for, for selling shoes online. And of course, as he would tell people about it, everybody thought it was a joke. No one would buy shoes online. Of course, you have to, you know, try those on and see how they feel and walk around with mm-hmm. them and, you know, pinch your toes and, and do the whole, do the That's whole right. thing, right? Um, but what he did was he said, well, let's just kind of create a prototype here. Let's, let's just fake it till we make it. And it's really not too different, I guess, than a little bit of this Wizard of Oz prototype, I guess, when, when you define it that way. But what he did was he created a website, um, and, what he, and then he went down to his local shoe store, um, kind of snuck in, took his camera, took pictures of all the shoes on the wall, and posted those on the website. And then he started trying to get people to go there and buy them. So he had no inventory. This wasn't a real concept. Mm-hmm. He had no supply chain. And then he wanted to see, well, if people go and order these shoes uh, just through the website, then maybe we've got a real business here. And sure enough, they started to do it. And and the first few orders, what they would do is they would just get the order and then walk down to that shoe store, buy the shoes, and then go and ship them to the customer, <laughs> losing, losing money on every single pair. You know, and, and how the story of the rest of it went is, of course, they figured out they've got a good concept, and then they you know, worked out ways to, to make money on it. But uh, I think it's just brilliant. You know, it's, it's just showing how you can prove out a concept quickly just with an idea. Um, even if you don't have everything put together. And it, it doesn't need to take two years to build something. Thank you very much. I, I love that story, and it resonates because most of us do wear shoes. So we're thinking, while you're talking, we're thinking, shoes, feet. Would I buy shoes online? I don't know, but they have a great return policy. You know, what do you have to lose? I'm not sure. I think that's going through everybody's mind. Uh, Anastasia, I don't know if you agree with me on that. Anastasia, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this example. And since you teach this, Anastasia, uh, how do you convey this information in a practical way to your students? How do you encourage them to find something to prototype? Or do they come with you an idea and already to the class? with an idea and say, Professor Stauffenberg, how do I prototype it? So how does that process work in the, in the classroom setting? Anastasia? 
Um, first of all, we do not have a classical classroom situation, so we try mm-hmm. to, wherever uh, we are, to have a creative room, so we have all the fancy stuff, design thinking rooms can be equipped with, and what we do is really, um, the, the young people have so many great ideas, so I encourage them to just look for for gaps or for um, trends or whatever, and this is um, then the starting point. They they get the time to come together and to um, be, let's say, in, in a very wild brain, brainstorming uh, session. Um, what I do is I, I teach them how to moderate then also this kind of sessions, and then we come together in, in a very quickly, uh, quick prototype or first um, draft. This is my mostly po- uh, paper mock-ups, what we mm-hmm. do, uh, with an idea. And then they, uh, they have to go out, for example, uh, to the coffee corners or to the canteen and just really try out um, ideas, what they have. Mostly, it's, of course, it's um, about apps. So we recently uh, started an idea on an app where you can do on-the-fly uh, user testing. So you would um, even not have to download a, a special software, but you would just um, click on an app. You would download an app, um, nothing big, only that you can um, answer some questions, and this would follow you. Would follow what you're doing when you use a certain app we ask you to use. And then mm-hmm. we capture via um, uh, voice recognition and also your face and your gestures what you mean. And this was an idea, and we were running around looking for someone to um, give us some funding. Yeah, because I thought this is great. Um, this on-the-fly um, user feedback gathering um, is not, uh, as far as I know, not yet uh, very sophisticated, available somehow. So I'm I'm very glad that we found someone, and I'm happy if at least one of uh, out of 100 ideas gets um, so far that we might come up with a solution we will sell to the company. So the guys are very excited, the students, because they can now hope for being um, entrepreneurs or intrapreneurs, as we call them, Mm -hmm. and be a little startup within a big company. And I like that very much. I I do too. And Anastasia, just so you know, I was working at SAP seven years ago, and I was not hired to do broadcasting at all or radio, any media at all, just videos and white papers and general capital M marketing stuff, and I was doing it very well. But I suggested this concept to my manager. I don't know if you remember Patricia Harris, who who has left SAP about five years ago, and she said, okay, I'll give you a chance. So I became, without even knowing the term, an intrapreneur, designing and creating something that hadn't existed before while I was working for big company and here we are a thousand shows and three thousand guests later and five hours a week and 29 series and and i understand how it goes from from idea from brainchild from that excitement anastasia to creating something and and i i think i'm a living example and i love it and and uh Bravo to my manager for saying, yeah, sure, you give it a try. You can hang yourself one show at a time. We'll see where it goes. Matt Cor- Gorbett, want to get you in on this. What do you think about the topic we're talking about here, about the practicalities of prototyping going from idea to wow? What do you say? 
Well, I love Gavin's example of Zappos, and I think it's a, it's a really fabulous step back to say, listen, uh, when you have an idea or a concept, you don't need to wait for the funding. You don't need to wait for the, all the approvals. Use what you have. In this case, he had his ingenuity. He had the shoe store down the street. You know, there are fabulous uh, uh, examples of, for example, in Apple's design group when they were first talking about uh, laptops and how people would use laptops in the office. This is early on before laptops had actually made it past the, the first industrial designs. They, uh, they started thinking about the experience, and they started carrying around a pizza box, and they would carry the pizza box into a meeting and set it down in front of them and open it up and have a whole meeting with these pizza boxes in front of them to understand what that would be. And so if you've got pizza boxes or you've got rubber bands or you've got chewing gum, you know, one of my, my favorite prototyping stories was uh, in the 1990s, uh, long before handheld, long before the iPhone and all the smartphones we have, there was something called the Palm Pilot. Maybe some of the some of the mm-hmm. guests remember that. Maybe you remember sure. the Palm Pilot. That yeah. first, you know, revolutionary device because you could carry your email around with you. But the, um, you know, the story about the development of the Palm Pilot, the the man who 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 founded that, his name is Jeff Hawkins, and and he, uh, you know, they had the idea and they were doing the engineering and they were thinking about how to make it work. But what he did through the entire development of that product in the early 90s is he carried around with him a block of wood, a block of wood mm. the size of the Palm Pilot, what Palm Pilot would finally be, in, in his shirt pocket, in the pocket of his shirt, and he would go to all his meetings, he would do everything he did throughout his whole day carrying this little slab of wood that was completely inert. But what he was testing is, what would it be like to have this thing with you all the time? And how many times a day would I think to yank it out and say, oh, I could write a note now, oh, I could email someone. Those are the things that that you learn, and so I'm sure that uh, that the Zappos founder really learned an awful lot by just starting starting with what he had, making it happen, doing that prototype. And I think that's the as long as you know what question you're asking, as long as you know what you're trying to figure out, then as you go, you'll learn you'll learn an awful lot, and you'll learn about things that you didn't even know you didn't know. So I think that's very that's interesting. Great, these great these story. stories are great because they help people. What do we say? Words, documentation. They help them visualize. We can't paint a, a real physical picture, but we can paint a picture with words here on the show. Gavin, I'm going to let you very quickly wrap this up, like 30 seconds, and then I'm going to see if I can pick one quick topic from Anastasia because we are literally at the at the part of the show where we do our what's it, I'm sorry where we do our crystal ball predictions round. So um, go ahead, Gavin. Just a quick summary of your topic. Sure. Yeah, I like. I really like the pizza boxes topic because I like pizza, and so I like maybe the side effects of that little experiment. So maybe maybe we'll try that. Um, but no, I you know I think the visual is so just it's just so important. Um, you know, back to the earlier comment, no one reads software specs, and you know to kind of broaden that, and uh, it's people when they put down requirements, requirements are never right either, and so. Um, the visualization that you can get in a prototype will get so many people bought in. And if you bring people all on board with that, not only are you going to get the right product, but you're going to get people bought in as, as part of the team promoting that you know, broadly throughout that process. So all those things are just going to go to creating better software or better solutions. Thank you very much. And Anastasia, I want to get in one very quotable note here from your list before we shoot around the table over to Matt. We're not going to shoot Matt. We're just going to circle around the table and we're going to say, Matt, Matt, crystal ball, 30 seconds, 60 seconds I'll give you. But Anastasia said the following. I think it's a beautiful statement and beauty is in the eye of the beholder, but I think you're all going to behold it with me. She said, prototypes are the currency of innovation. Anastasia, that is a heavy-duty, profound statement. Can you just give me a 60-second addition to that or do you want to explain that? Sure. So, yeah, it's... um 
we all said it. Um, it's, I, I like that, and this is uh, also a quote from uh, Internet I found. And it, it was actually, I think, in a book I wanted to order. I like that because it summarizes what we said so far, the currency of innovation. So it comprises also the value. It um, also considers the, the costs we save and also sometimes the money we lose while um, doing iterations, throwing things away and starting from, from scratch again. And innovation is really built upon um, this kind of new thinking of uh, daring to, to go new ways and together feedback, be creative thinking outside the box. Thank you very much. And now I don't want to cut you short. You know what, Anastasia, because I just did that, I'm going to let you start the crystal ball. So, Anastasia, 60 seconds on the dot. What do you see will be different about prototyping, if anything, around the year 2020? Let's look ahead. Somebody told me it's only three New Year's Eves away. So start planning what champagne you're going to buy. This is going to be a good year. So, Anastasia Stauffenberg, what will be different about prototyping around the year 2020? 60 seconds, crystal ball predictions, go. Yeah, I think that uh, we will have through the technological evolution some um, great stuff like um, the Microsoft HoloLens, which I had the chance to test out recently. This is this holographic mixed reality headset. And this helps me um, to put bring together reality people places and objects from physical and virtual world and merge them together in a blended environment in 3D so i'm i'm very excited um to see what else they will come up with or how they will improve even this first prototype i had the chance to try out and I, for me it's amazing so i could move in nat- naturally i could interact uh, and explore in three dimensions so I'm really keen to see how I can visualize and work um, on my digital content as part of my real world, but in a very natural way. Thank you very much. And uh, I saved 60 seconds exactly for Matt Gorbett. Go, Matt. All right. I I think in looking at the crystal ball, uh, really what's going to change is that uh, every business and sort of aspects of all businesses are moving towards these words that we keep hearing, innovation, creativity, and that's creative process, and creative processes are, are where uh, prototyping has always lived. So what we're going to see, I think, is that the business tools that we use, the email and specs and Gantt charts to, uh, to Gavin's quotes and Gavin's comments, uh, they're going to change. They're going to be joined by, and I think they're hopefully going to be supplanted with more fluid prototyping tools and, and a prototyping culture. Where, where every aspect of business is always building to, to learn and building to see and using what they build to know what questions they really should be, should be asking next. So um, I think Anastasia said a prototype is worth 100 meetings or 1,000 meetings, and, and that's what we're going to see. Meetings are going to get replaced by active, ongoing prototyping. Thank you. Gavin P. Quinn, I can give you about 45 seconds. Use them well. Go ahead. Predict. <laughs> great. Great. So I think right now there's this general sentiment in, in large business that, look, we're all software companies now. We're all innovating. And it ties a little bit to what Matt was saying. You know, that Under Armour, for example, is not just making clothes. They're, they're doing uh, software like Map My Ride, but they're innovating faster and faster and faster. And so, of course, the tools will get better and, and software will get better. And, you know, hopefully everybody's lives will get better. But, you know, it's, it's all about this innovation pace that we need to get to. 
And, and I'll end with a quote from Eric uh, Reese, who, who wrote The Lean Startup, a, a wonderful book that I just love, where he, where he quotes and says, the only way to win is to learn faster than anyone else. Um, and I think prototyping is, is probably the best way to do that. Thank you very much. I've got 30 seconds left. I hope I use them well. Matt Gorbett, such a pleasure at Gorbett Design. Say hello to your other half of your duo. Gavin P. Quinn, we have to start meeting that way, but I think it's okay. Come back on the show anytime. We'll be in touch. Anastasia Stauffenberg, such a pleasure. Sorry, it's been so many months, and it's been about a year since you've been on. We have to get you back. Such smart panelists. My goodness. Our topic was designing the future, prototyping in just about everything, and brilliant topic, brilliant panel, and Thanks to Charlotte Buey and Jennifer Ford, sponsors of this series, for putting us this together. Shout out to my engineer extraordinaire, Kevin Sussman at World Talk Radio. Now you know his full name. What can I tell you? No more secrets. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and I have a call to action for you. I think it's time for somebody to design a new seatbelt. Hey, gang, we have to get a prototype. But in the meantime, fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Like Matt, like Gavin, like Anastasia, like Charlotte, like Jennifer. Talk to you later. I'll be back with Changing the Game with HR, 2 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Business Channel. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Designing the Future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Thursdays on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.